0: you had a word to say if you wanted to say something about the show. Everybody did. The light designer, the light assistant, the sound engineer, the woman in the office, everybody had a a possibility to express around the artistic.
1: The commitment to
0: a performance is incredible wherever you are so for me that's like it's so international and it's so strong for me it was obvious if i'm gonna go up there i want to know what's up there how to do it at least the basic of it
1: Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast. And hello, we're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe. The culture creators, the backstage
2: masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Robb. On this episode, we'll be talking to Melissa Colello about being a trapeze artist.
1: Melissa studied at École Nationale du Cirque, ENC where she was the first student to develop a dance trapeze act. After E.N.C. she created and performed a triple trapeze act at the Festival du Cirque de Main, Prix Coup de Coeur. Her experience is very wide, from German cabaret to traditional circus. She joined the aerial arts collective Les Arceaux, with whom she toured internationally. She then became co-founder of Cirque Vost, a French aerial contemporary circus company. Her wide experience also brought her to be an aerial choreographer and coach for major events and intimate shows, such Olympic Games, MJM Macau, Luc Petit Création, The King Show, Sec du Soleil, also a stage director for CREATIVA, Piano Carnival. Melissa has more than 25 years of experience and she is still curious and passionate about her work. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: Melissa, what a what an incredible career you've had all around the world. This is amazing. So tell us how did you get started in in this profession and, and what drove you to be a I guess you began as a trapeze artist, right?
0: I did. Actually, I well I'm from Montreal and I did a little bit of diving. I was a teenager and then for some reason it was quite competitive and it, I lacked a bit of artistic. Like I was like, oh, maybe I should go into dance or something like this. And randomly I did finally flip of a trapeze school. And I was like, oh, trapeze? What is this? So I went in and basically after day one, that was it. And I was like 15, just turned 15 years old. And I just talked about it all the time. I was. Straight away, super passionate about this. I did find the acrobatic side that I liked in diving, but then there was the artistic side that kind of was needed for me. In Quebec, you have high school and then you have two years prep of uni, which is called CIGIP. So I was 6'17 and I was like life choices which school i should go and i apply at the national circus school i was not a gymnast i had done a bit of static for classes and a bit of diving and at a very young age some dance but i was not a gymnast basically and montreal circus school is a, a highly acrobatic school So I remember when I did the audition, you have an interview and the director said, well, you could come three nights a week, uh, this program, so you level up for your acrobatic. And I answer, I remember answering just like, "Mm, I don't have time to lose. This is clear. This is really clear. And they took me. I think they took me on that account. Like I totally was committed and I knew it was for me and there you go I went to the national circus school for three years was a great experience was difficult the year one was so difficult I didn't have any trapeze classes it was more like general training lots of acrobatic like I was so I really like my passion for trapeze like i I was maybe one of the reasons was probably because I was not so good in the other discipline that i I really was like, no, this is why i I am here, and so I trained uh, swinging trapeze and some dance trapeze so i I don't think that the I mean, I didn't invent dance trapeze, but I definitely developed it to how it is, how I used it, like putting a swivel and using a proper circusy trapeze. Because in the world of dance, there was some low trapeze, It's kind of almost the same way, but I developed the apparatus a little bit. And now it's quite. Common or much more common to see people doing dance trapeze. But I guess I really like um, dance as well. I said, really like dance and I really like the multidisciplinary. And um, yes, I did a dance trapeze act, dance swing trapeze. But alongside after school, I would go and train with three other girls. So we were four girls on a triple trapeze. And we kind of knew this would go somewhere. So even after school, I would carry on my training and just try to put this act together. And uh, after the the three years at circus school, then we went and trained full time with the triple trapeze for a few months, and then we presented at the festival Cercle de Demain in Paris, which. At the time, for me, it was a big thing to present that festival. It was a door to Europe, and it felt like it was comma, the Olympics of the Cirque. It was like a a big place where you would challenge yourself and show up. And this was quite a new idea, although Triple Strapies is a very old apparatus, but being four girls on it was a new kind of style and stuff like that so it was really the open door to Europe for me because in I basically moved to Europe that year so from that festival contracts came and then we did Germany we went into like the world of cabaret and circus and like traditional circuses which was a awesome experience like traditional circus I've learned so much it's quite intense
2: <laughs> do you feel that you you fought you know because you've had regular work obviously throughout your life and it, some people do want to get into this industry but never sustain it and and what do you think that was about you that you could forge ahead and um make sure that you were you really proactive in landing work I mean how, how did you How did you keep the momentum of performance and and work going?
0: I think I was very lucky, very fortunate at the right place at the right time, a lot of times. Apart from now being COVID and being um, this weird period of time, I actually never stopped working in my life. The only break I had was with pregnancy, actually not performing. And I did explore. Like, I went, okay, traditional circus, bring it on. You know, six months, no day off. Like, uh, I can't even remember the amount of shows we did. Six months, no day off. Like, I wouldn't do that today. <laughs> but I wasn't scared. I was like, just quite famished and like, bring it on. And I swapped. like, we did. So we did the, the cabaret, the traditional circus. And then I was. Very curious. I guess I'm, I am still very curious of what and who's doing what, and therefore open to new style and new experiences. And yeah, I, I, I was lucky a lot lucky, so <laughs> yeah. And so after the traditional circus spirit and stuff, I went and. Worked with two uh, French guys that I met at the circus school in Montreal, and that was like my first contemporary uh, work. We worked with puppetry, so there's three of us on stage with puppetry. It was a very small very small show but that again led to encountering other people and then we made it like a little bigger show of 10 people in France so that that was kind of a landmark for me in France because it was Europe but we did like traditional circus in Sweden and Belgium a bit of galas here and there and then Japan. Japan was was a great experience because I love Japan, those traditional circuses. But it was it was great. And then yeah, so then I started to do this smaller show. And at the very start, I'll go back to the very start where we did the triple of after doing the festival to Sarto We actually negotiated with Soleil. think if our it was for Kidan. And we didn't it didn't it didn't go, we didn't really go through the full negotiation, we didn't accept the condition or whatever. But for, I see it as a good thing today. Like I would never have done all I've done if I would have worked with Sog, because I was lucky enough to be able to have loads of other opportunity.
1: Yeah. So you, you want to Festival de sardes de Demain? And, and you stayed in Europe. Was that your intention? And why do you stay in Europe instead of coming back to Montreal? Well,
0: the festival of Sac de Domain is January, and then uh, we had a contract for the summer. So, the first contract out of Sac de Domain was uh, three months in Berlin in the Winter Garden Cabaret, which is a great venue. And so I, I just got a flat, a new flat here in Montreal, like in for July, because flats in Montreal go. So I, I got a new flat, took the flight, went to Europe, and then I called my sister and my. Uh, would you sort it out for me? Because I don't think I'm going to come back. (laughs) So that was it. After the three months in Berlin, then I just went, oh, yeah, this friend from circus school, she's just like in Switzerland next door. So then I took my backpack and I went to Switzerland where I did find a small circus school there and met those two jugglers that we did the – puppetry show together and yeah things just kind of went into one another organically and I never stopped and asked myself oh should I stay should I go it was just all embracing each like so I guess it was my path
2: yeah (laughs) Montreal is you know it's such a hub for creativity and not only just in circus arts, but generally. And it, it's kind of interesting to me, I'm, I'm asking this kind of off the cuff question because I'm not sure if you know the answer, but why do you think that Montreal kind of evolved as a, as quite a creative hub? Why circus? Historically, you know, it's just interesting to me that it seems to be a focal point. And in other parts of Western culture, we don't have that hub. And so why Montreal? Do you know?
0: Mm. I think one of the reasons is the success of Saint-Soleil. Definitely they um but if not, hmm, I think Montreal has this special vibe being a French community in this anglophone. Then there's always been strong artists, cinema, dance, uh writing literature is is big here so i don't know it's a good uh, question that but definitely that war in between the english and the french <laughs> on Plain d'Abraham probably has to do something with it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i feel there's like a mix between the creativity from the french culture and the pragmatism of the anglophone culture that i don't know that's how i see it but i might be completely wrong
0: yeah and the hub of the circus community here i guess is the when circus la started and it was it was a small thing but it was very rich you know there's so much creativity and people worked. and then the I mean, people came from all over already in that small startup show business creation. And that led, actually, the fact that it was international from the start led to the blooming of the circus. Because circus is international.
1: That's a very interesting take, right? That uh, it is, the, the fact that it was international from
2: its conception. So back to your trapeze, in terms of your transition from performing into, you know, I mean maybe you've always been creating acts because you said even in the circus school you were creating different things, but it it is a bit of a transition to go from performing into, uh, you know, more roles of leadership and choreography and direction. So what was that transition like to you? When did it happen and how did you feel when you moved into those positions where you're not just a person doing the act
0: I think again it was uh, quite natural. I didn't even go, oh, should I stop performing? Am I too achy? Am I too old to carry on? The question never actually was there. Job kind of came, same as. So I think my big, big first gig as an aerial choreographer, I was assistant aerial choreographer at Sachi, and I was also performing but then there was a problem with the winches and I didn't fly. But <laughs> it, was, it was such, it was such. So, so yeah, it was linking me performing there and being assistant. Or And, and after that, a uh, small project, I guess, because I've got experience and stuff. People would say, oh, would you come and look and what do you think about this and that? And Les Arceaux and Soc were a collective, especially in the artistic, in the sense that you had a word to say if you wanted to say something about the show. Everybody did the light designer, the light assistant, the sound engineer, the woman in the office, everybody had a a possibility to express around the artistic. I think from that is a massive experience of, of not of directing, but of, of knowing what I want, what I like and stuff like that. Servos was co-direction. Well, all all the Les after as well was like a co-direction. We had a, a director that came in and we kind of made the show together. But I almost feel like the trapeze artist did more of the direction than he actually did. Just stood out and had opinions, but. Um, we made the show and the show evolved as we would tour and like every show we made, every single show before we sat down and talked through the show and made the changes at this moment, which we call it Italian, like we just sat and talked the show from beginning to the end I guess that's a trapeze thing as well in the sense that uh, the communication and the relation and what we're going to do and make sure everybody's clear of what we're going to do because there's nobody's calling the show. There's no, um, there's no stage management. Stage management and those kind of shows don't really exist, to my knowledge. And so, yeah, every day before the show we would talk and then there was a big place to speak out and to be able to change from whoever had an idea. And so that's a very creative process. And except us, which I co-founded, there was five of us. Now it grew. It's, it's more like 20 people. We We really... Made a collective uh, uh, in Sony. At the start, it was five, but the first show was made with probably nine people around the table. And it's a very different way of working than here. It's like every, like, you're a artist, but you also think about what kind of structure you're going to want, what kind of costume you're going to want to wear. And so that it's not like a designer is coming in. There is, there is, there was the light designer, there was a, a costume designer, but it's definitely less formal in who design what. It's more a collective process, I guess. So the transition to then choreographing or directing, I think it's just following up and just falling into other ways of working, which is a bit more like North America in a way, having more of a director and a choreographer and an acrobatic choreographer.
1: And then I guess also the scale, right? Like in Berlin or in Switzerland, you were doing very intimate shows and then you go to Sochi, and it's a little bit bigger. <laughs> Totally, yeah
0: for, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't do a such a ceremony on a collective basis. Oh so my god, because <laughs> collective is great, but it also has this downfall. Like it's it can be quite hard work and difficult, you know. And the achievements are not necessarily as efficient, actually, depending on how you work or how you get along with workers
2: how do you think that the circus arts have evolved over the time that you have been in the industry is it been progressive is it not been um as creative as enough is it is it is it in a good state like what's your thoughts on the industry as a whole uh COVID aside of course
0: yeah yeah um I think it's doing great I think it's it's taking different groups which is awesome like and the level the level is just raising up so much the 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 body evolves the the creativity in all sorts just raising up raising up and and you have like the traditional circuses are like becoming as well to highest standards the have the, the, the small like contemporary as well, and also I really appreciate the mixity, like the multidisciplinary that circus is going into more and more. Like if you if you look at like physical dance theater, more and more circus artists are taking part in kind of those creation, and it brings so much more creativity. You know. An amazing image and body knowledge and body intelligence is like it's rising up.
1: How would you define the differences between cabaret and then traditional circus and contemporary circus?
0: Cabaret is a funny one. I've I've done it, but it's been a while. I didn't do it. Uh, there's this weird thing of people eating their. Cheese platter. Oh, I'm the cheese platter act. Oh, I'm the dessert. Oh, that's a good point. (laughs) But, and then at the same time, they have a strong culture of it. So the the public is well educated as well into uh, watching high standard acts, which which makes it a, a good place to evolve or perform traditional circus is uh, i've got a huge respect for traditional circus and and a lot of things we do is due to traditional circus it's hard work it's hard hard work that's the memory i've got of traditional circus but at the same time it's very rich and people are just true they they hunt they harness people they who they are they've been generation after generation got lots of anecdotes of like those crazy amazing people those elephant story and yeah it's just quite unique not coming from a family with this circus background and then contemporary circus for me was much more of a family yeah it, well my son was born on tour um, so that that sense of les arceaux had children on tour we had the teacher with us and everybody had the same uh, pay like there was nobody had difference in in the earning we all earned the same thing to be able to do the same thing Whatever you would do, everybody does a bit of everything in the sense like we do the get in, we build the structure, we build it down. People who are not shit sure to do that will cook while we do the get in and the get out, so everybody participates in that life and and that life was to be able to perform, which. Still today, just makes my heart go, wow, you know.
2: (laughs) Tell us about how you became the co-founder of Cirque Vost and what is Cirque Vost and, and what's your current involvement in it?
0: So at the end of Les Arceaux, it was 13 years the company existed and we had a meeting. It was kind of the end of the tour. The last one was the show called Ola Kala. And we had a big meeting to go, okay, what's next? Is it going to be a new show? Da, da, da. And the average age was quite high. So a few people wanted to stop performing. And Les Arceaux was not a company where you would go and do an of two recruit 10 performer, 20 performer. It never worked like that. I went in assent, I can pass passing edition. I met them. And I met someone and we got along and then there was this special project and they said, oh, let's invite Melissa, you know. And then if you join the company, you kind of at the three months if you're happy there or if like for both sides, it kind of a which made sense in the way that you spend your life 20 meters up in the air, you need to trust who you are with up there. So it was a lot based on human feeling. And um, and then so at the end it was like, well, that's it. We're gonna stop the company after this show. And uh, we made a little massive party at the end of the last show. and. Out of the company, five of us, there was uh, my partner, my trapeze partner, and her partner, and uh, a catcher. And we sat down, and we knew we wanted to carry on in a probably slightly different way, but at the same time, we still wanted to do an aerial show. We wanted to tour, we wanted to be able to have our family with us on tour, and so we started Suck and we took, what, a few years, probably two years to make the first production. It was still a big scale, like the tent is still a massive tent, but the, uh, the structure was it's always big. We started like, oh, let's do something really small. Like, let's not push it. And then, boop, 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 boop. And the, the first show, we built first the structure, which is like a circle. Well, not a full circle because there's a big base of the top. And then we went, oh, actually, which tent will fit on that? Oh. No, we like to build the tent, put the structure in. So we got a tent made, which is a beautiful circus tent, it's quite unique because it's suspended, uh, door. So it's and so we did um, this first tour with EPC. And it was quite a stressful process because lots of producers and people who would buy the show, we're expecting a uh, Les so. Do like a second, but we wanted to be different, and we were. And uh, but um, I'm really proud of the show we did with ABC, and then we did a second big creation, which is called Boo, which is a bamboo structure. And um, in the past, I worked with an Australian company called BambooCo. Simon Bali was the uh, creator of Bambuko was a very inspiring person. And uh, we had a project to do something with Les Arceaux and him. That never happened. And unfortunately, he died. We still had that project to do like a Bambuco collaboration somehow. And Bambuco kind of dissolved. But was a... Big desire of mine to be able to do that. Like, we arrive with a big truck of 300 bamboo sticks of like 10, 12 meters, and we build a massive structure that goes up 17 meters up in the air, and we do flying trapeze out of this, you know. So it's quite unique. Not so much viable because we took about Five days to put it up <laughs> and then and you do a show. <laughs> but the loading was part of the experience because it was like a, a visual art structure, it was a sculpture, like it was very beautiful. But, so, yeah, we thought that for bits. bit. It, it's, I love that show. I really like the theatrality that we put into Circus and in that show. And uh, after that, Sarah, which was my trapeze partner, we did a duo. So we went down the side. We're going to do a two-woman show for an hour. And I'm going to actually touch the ground, like we perform on the floor as well. We did trapeze, but we touched the floor, which I almost never done before. <laughs> and um yeah so that was great and so that was my last show with Circle Boss because then gigs start to come and then I left for Macau spent a year in Macau with uh Sinopis, which is a French Canadian company for the MGM and um Worked on that show as a co-choreographer, and I was the assistant of uh, Corinne Pierre, which she was the um, uh, acrobatic content uh, designer. But unfortunately, that show didn't see the day, so that's totally different experience. But I really enjoy. It. I really like. Uh, I really like that. And there was more work with um, automation as well. It's a different. It's still fully aerial and but it's 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 a different uh, mindset i guess From this also and voss mainly i i i've got quite a good technical brain in a way that like i understand reading i understand fully what what you what you need to do an aerial act so i think that serves my approach to Aerial choreography for sure.
1: What are the differences you find between working in North America and then Europe and then Asia?
0: Every place is so different, but at the same time, so similar because we are working with people from entertainment. And I think if you're Chinese, Russian, or Canadian, the commitment to a performance is incredible wherever you are. So for me, that's like, it's so international and it's so strong. And I do find that everywhere I work, which I find amazing. And I think that's a big thing that drives me is that strong will into a performance, like, You can work 70, 80 hours a week to be able to do a show. Like, who else does that? (laughs) It's quite a unique, yeah, a unique commitment, I guess, in our industry. But then, uh, yeah, the cultural differences, like China. I did this big gig with Luc in in China. And I got sick. And the hospital was a big cultural shock. <laughs> That's when you go, oh, yeah, I'm not home. I'm actually not home. But uh, <laughs> apart from that, you walk in the theater, well, in, in-built theater, it's, it's the same wherever you are, in a way.
1: And you were saying that uh, you find you have a very, like, your engineering brain is there; it's it it helps you a lot. Do you think studying at the École Nationale helped you develop that? And Did they give you like some basics or not so basics of what you need to make it happen safely?
0: When I was there, I was there in nineteen ninety two, so that doesn't make me any younger. But this, at the time, no, we didn't have uh, rigging, or oh, yeah or conception of, of apparatus. I did meet very early in my path some uh, rigors that took the time to show me things and I really cherish and carry that all my life. I also share my life with everybody. <laughs> that probably helps.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, I like I like it. It's something that you know, for what you do, especially as trapeze, it is fundamental part of the infrastructure of you. you and know, it's always the thing that I think real circus people, like you said, traditional circus things, they did everything themselves. So they've got to build stuff to a point where you know it's safe because you're putting yourself on that apparatus. You're putting a dynamic load on that apparatus and, and you want to be confident that that's not something that you have to worry about while you're performing, right?
0: For me, it was obvious. If I'm gonna go up there, I want to know what's up there and how to do it, at least the basic of it. You know, and yeah, and now I'm working with bigger scale where automation is not a standard but often used. I don't know that much about automation. I, I mean, it's so complex and stuff. But I really like it. I really enjoy it. And for me doing aerial choreography with automation and 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 you have, it's like filling a blank canvas and like drawing what's gonna be on that wall, on that image. I like painting on the side, so for me it's I, I can really connect those two creative um, activities. <laughs> well yeah.
1: Do you see yourself using more automation on your new shows or you're going to... Depends on the budget, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually,
0: well, well, yeah. The this show on all at the moment um, I'm directing has automation, but it's, it's quite limited. But um, the show I'm writing at the moment... I wish I had the budget to have automation, definitely. It just brings that little magic if you, you know, you can. I like that in circus. I like, uh, I like, I think I like that in aerial, actually. It's that little fine line between the illusion, like it's almost magic, the perception of the spectator. and. The difference in between what you the, the, the experience, living that experience and the, the spectator perception and that fine line in between becoming an illusion. I like that, so yes, if I had the budget, I would definitely
2: use it <laughs> What would you say that you is the thing that you like most about your job and your career? The people.
0: The people I work with, yeah, it's part of my life. A lot of my career has been in duo as well, like working with someone else on abuse, a base a friend basically, and that's been very, very special in my life. And I don't do it at the moment. I really miss that relationship. But the people I create with, or which wherever you are whatever job you do, if you're a performer or the stage manager or the whatever, for me that relation is very, very precious and I think that's that's what I love is those encountering. Mm.
1: And uh, if you could change anything, what would you change?
0: Well, I would get rid of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> To be able to carry on working,
2: I, I second that. Let's let's get let's get that one <laughs> and the entirety yeah. of the
0: industry. I'm sure. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't change anything. It's like I'm good with what I've done, and I'm fortunate enough knock on wood that I never had a big injury or something like this. I would probably change the people who passed away from accident and in what we do, that would definitely change. I'm happy of where my partner brought me and who I met through that parcours and yeah, I feel very lucky.
2: Do you think that there, there is a ways to go in terms of safety given you just mentioned there has been some fatalities and, and, and what, is that, what is lacking there?
0: it's a it's a massive question i think we are uh going more and more towards more and more safety sometimes i think yes that's what we need sometimes i think we just need to be just all very educated Towards what is safe and what is not, and not just following a line, but I have the real education to actually make a decision. Accident unfortunately happens, even if you are very, very safe. I think reading course at like National Circus School in, in, in most countries should be mandatory, or at least a basic of safety. I guess they are actually now, because to be honest, I don't know exactly what's the what's going on at the moment in circus schools. It is a, a big part of my job to think about it and to actually assess and and listen to my feeling as well. Sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, okay, but and then just be able to raise your hand and say actually, no, I will actually like voice out what I feel like especially in big events and and bigger you go, most people quite I, I don't want to say people don't dare to to voice up, but often it's like you have to channel a certain way and and therefore sometimes things probably could be avoided if if there's a bit more Listening up to everybody.
2: I think that, you know, I when it comes to something that ends in a fatality, you the way that because I've spent some time in circus environment as well for 10 years. And I think it's always for me, it's never one single point of failure. It's a collection of circumstances that come together. And I think that's for me, vigilance and tenacity to constantly be addressing it, having worked on operational shows you know, there's, there's a risk factor when you're creating it because there's lots unknown, but then when you get into uh, the regular uh, execution of that, there's also the risk of complacency or, you know, uh, relaxing on certain things because people become so familiar with it. And vigilance for me is always to, like, keep reassessing what are those potential risks, what are, what, what are we not seeing, what are those things. And if you ever look at any reports or OSHA reports, you do see a, a sequence of events that, that lead up to that incident. And and I think, I think personally, I, I, gave you, I, I know this is your podcast, but I'm really passionate about safety. I think that really, whenever something happens, we should not hide from it. We should all dig in and look at that report and reflect as a community and as an industry. And let's not shy away from it. it. It happened and we need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So what were the circumstances? And let's make sure that we never put ourselves in those circumstances
0: yeah yeah fully agree and from the creative process as well we need to keep that in mind what kind of show and how long it's gonna tour for or how many times gonna perform it is it a one-off or is it uh, that all are part of the choices you make towards safety
2: yeah, performer fatigue. How many shows a week? You know, is it sustainable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, they're the softer, they're the softer, more nuanced things. You know, you can make sure the rigging is safe and the things, but there's so much element of the creative that compounds into the those factors, which is really important as people create work, right? Yeah, fully. And like I've performed in states where I was so sick,
0: I should never perform. But it's like this thing of like no. I would never not do a show, you know. But and that's silly. That's not safe, you know. Because you're up in the air. So it's yeah. And being scared, I think it's quite important to keep that little tiny fear and that respect to being up in the air or being rigged on a winch, a rope, a trapeze, whatever, keeping that respect is Fundamental.
1: Well, just to go back and kind of wrap it up. Well, I really think we start we should start a database of anonymous case studies for for safety. That might be a project for another day. But um another project for another day. I once worked in a show that was a water show and had a trapeze act, and it's one of the most beautiful acts. I have worked on, so wink, wink, if you ever think about a new trapeze act, maybe with water, it's nice. I think you're the right person to suggest. That. <laughs>
0: I would love to do that.
1: <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. I've learned a lot. My pleasure, thank you for having me,
2: really. Thank you. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free. And if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment at www.theatreartlife.com, and you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zare for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast. Thanks for listening.